Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Thomas, the host of the Generous Business Owner Podcast. I have a special guest with us today, Tom McGee of Halftime, and he's going to tell you more about his background, but welcome. Hey, thanks. So good to be here. Well, listen, Tom, just tell us maybe a little about uh, where you grew up and uh, what, what it was like for you growing up. Where and what was it like? Man, it, it was uh, it was interesting. My dad was a lieutenant general in the Air Force. I was actually born in Japan. Huh. Uh, you know, he loved me. I was the son he always wanted. And my mom, though, was a little embarrassed to be a pregnant general's wife. Uh, you know, and I actually grew up with a little bit of I'm unconditionally loved, but I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm quite good enough. Kind of oh boy. driving things yeah. inside you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up on air bases, mostly in the U.S. Uh, ended up high school years were all Colorado, which I loved in the mountains and skiing yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, it was a great place to be from in high school. And then uh, my dad went to Auburn University yeah. and told me I could go to any college I wanted, but he was sending the money to Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, I spent a few years in Alabama, which which God had a real plan for that. That's where I met my wife. Okay. That's where I started my career out of college. Could be worse places. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Well, very good. Okay, so so you go to Auburn. What did you study? I studied history. Okay. I was I was a, uh, a you know this will set you up well for business. I I, uh, I studied history and philosophy. There's actually a lot of great, of course. We're in the wealth management business. There's a lot of great portfolio managers in this world that study history because yeah. these cycles repeat. Yeah. These economic cycles repeat. So, well, well I thought if I, yeah, I really liked philosophy, and, and, and I thought, you know, but if I'm going to make a living at it, I need to have to be a professor or start a cult. <laughs> the only way, you know. So, so that kind of waned out, right? But so, all right, and and then uh, into the military, right? Following your dad's footsteps. I what did. was that? Was uh, was that also prescribed by dad, or how no, much? It, uh, <laughs> you know, it actually wasn't. I went into the Marines. There was a friend of mine showed up one day. My junior year had his head shaved, and I said, "What happened to you?" And he said, right. <laughs> what you know, "I'm going to be a Marine officer." And I said, "Well, I didn't know you could do that without being an ROTC." Right. And stuff. Turned out they have a program. You know, I went to it. I loved it. Like I said, the outdoors, the mountains, yeah. and all that stuff. And I and, and I I really felt I needed to prove myself. I was an average student. I'm, I, you know, I really thought you're going to hit the marketplace as kind of an average guy, or you can hit the marketplace as a former marine officer. I'd have a little more marketability True. and give me some time to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, uh, so I met my wife at Auburn. Yeah, uh, we got married. I became a second lieutenant of the Marine Corps, and that took care of my first the next twelve years of our lives. Moving, you know, to Marine bases, got to do some great things. Was uh, the Marine Barracks in Washington D.C. Oh, cool! We go all the security at Camp David. Oh, all yeah. Ceremonies the White House. Ah, oh, neat. And then after the bombing, the Marine Corps decided it needed to up its capability, and I was a commander in their first special operations capable. Wow! Group. This was uh, right prior. This was uh, mid '80s, and then I ended up getting out right before the Gulf War. So I did a lot of training. Mm-hmm. That lot was off the coast of a lot of places, but never actually saw combat. Gotcha. But twelve years—that's yeah. a—that's a longer stint than most, I would what? say. Why do you why do you think you stayed in that long? You know, it's great. I thought I was going to have a career. Yeah, I mean, that's what yeah, I yeah. wanted to do. I was headed that way. I ended up getting passed over for promotion. Yeah, I could have stayed another year and probably picked it up and gone on sure. and retired. And my wife and I, we did a lot of prayer, uh, seeking advice of people. And I had a general who was a real mentor to me. And he said, you know, you can probably get promoted. 
But if I were you, I'd think about your family and probably go ahead and get out. Yeah. So after 12 years, we walked away cold and into the business market. And you kind of get into the consulting business. Yeah. Talk about where you went from from the Marine Corps. Well, it you know it has been God has led me on a path. This whole thing I never could have dreamed up if I had, you know if I tried. Out of, out of the Marine Corps, I, I went to EDS, which it was Ross Perot's old company, yep. and they were still hiring military guys, former military, yep. but but they were moving to industry oriented kind of businesses. But I came in working on hundred million dollar outsourcing deals, big huge mega deals, and really found out pretty quickly I wasn't a deal guy. Yeah. You know, uh, I had the, uh, uh, you know, I, I bought the suit, had the look, and was trying to, you know. The they were okay with the same haircut. That's right. Yes, <laughs> and, and, you know, the sort of fake it till you make it. Right, I, yeah. I, you know, I was trying that, and, and I was feeling pretty hollow. But it, but it turned out I had a, uh, I had a good, uh, a pretty good ability for strategy mm. and for pulling disparate pieces together. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine who, we'd actually been captains together in the Marines. This is how I think God does things. I left and went to EDS, and I pulled him to EDS with me. Okay. When he was at EDS, he got on a track. Ernst & Young was hiring five direct partners to start a new group. He got on that track and pulled me into that, and we both went directly into Ernst & Young Consulting as a partner in about 1990. And then what kind of stuff were you doing? Was it similar to uh, what you were doing at EDS, or was it different? So we were hired to start an outsourcing practice, okay. so it was similar. But but I got tagged early on. They They had a... They had just licensed this collaborative process, and they had these centers where we'd bring a system into the room, like a, a corporation that's doing a big ERP implementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you yeah. get all these disparate pieces. We'd bring that into the room, and the value proposition was they'd do months of work in days. It was a nonlinear, very experiential kind of working environment. I fell in love with that kind of work. I became one of their lead facilitators, and I got tagged to help Ernst & Young consulting with their global strategy. So it moved me into the strategy world. It moved me into the facilitation world, and, and I was a much better fit there than in the outsourcing world. So Capgemini buys Ernst & Young Consulting. Exactly, yeah, right. 98, somewhere in there. Uh, no, um, yes, that's, a, that's about right. Okay, yep. and so you do the same job, just under the Capgemini sort of banner. Right. Right, right. and then you... you and and of, life, life in a U.S. partnership as yeah. a partner versus life as a vice president in a French-owned public company... <laughs> Don't need to see oh, much more. A little bit different. Left in 2001. A little, yeah. little bit different. Got it. And then you go on to launch something, right? Yeah. Now, is this how many people were involved in this? Because I know we're talking about to uh, generous business owners or, or business owners that want to be generous. Yeah. So you, you kind of launch this thing. This is kind of when you got to get into a, I mean, you still have maybe some ownership in right. these other deals, right. but maybe a little more there, a little more entrepreneurial. Yeah, so that's right. So so I ventured out as an entrepreneur. I loved this collaborative work. I said, I bet I can make a company doing that, right. just that, right. not trying to sell other services. Yeah, yeah, cross-selling anything right. else. Just, yeah. we, we purely show up and help you make really difficult decisions very quickly. Got it. And wanted to do that, built a team of about, I think at the height, we were six or seven in the company. Yeah. We were working almost exclusively with Fortune 100 companies. But I also, because I felt called to this, I said I want to carve out at least 20% of our time and focus on using the same process for ministries or oh. for churches. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be part of our give back while we're making profit off of the corporation. Well, that's kind of your generosity plan. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, yeah. a business owner is listening to this and they're like, well, I mean, I'm just maybe getting rolling. 
We don't have a bunch of excess profits. We need to reinvest most of what we've got. We don't have a lot of money to give away, but what is the expertise you have? I mean, I think that's a great way of thinking about generosity. It's not just cash. That's right. right. It really really was a... And the thing that made it right was I was able... What I did for a living with businesses was exactly the same value for a ministry or a church. Yeah. So it wasn't like I had to, you know, I was a business guy on this end, and I was going to go... I'm not washing windows now. (laughs) You're taking the exact skills. It was taking the the best of what I could give to the business world and being able to apply it for churches and ministries. Oh, man. And that's actually where I met Bob Buford, who was the founder of Halftime. Tell us a little about, for those that don't know, I'm sure some of the folks that are listening have uh, heard of Bob Buford, but maybe some of them haven't. Uh, Maybe unpack what what that is. Well, now, there's one more step. Should we hit, uh, now, Wave Changer, is that kind of an extension of uh, of Wildworks? Of Wildworks. So what happened is I went through Wildworks. I had a consulting company. And one of the things that happened, there, there were, so there were a number of things going on, but one of them was our oldest son was killed in a motorcycle accident about oh, 12 years ago. And there, there, there is real, of course, real pain and, and, and grief for that, but there's also a lot of blessing involved. That's a whole other podcast yeah. around that. But one of the things it did for me is I just lost any energy to help people make money. You know, because I just kind of said it put things in perspective immediately, didn't it? And, 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 you know, if I'm helping you make all this money and something like that hits you and you don't know the Lord and you don't, you're not grounded in your faith, it's not going to help. Yeah. So I ended up letting my partners take the company, kind of sold it off to them, let them run with it. And I became a one man shop with Wave Changer with the idea of taking what I'm doing now and training others around the world to do it, to try to expand myself okay. instead of just doing it myself. Yeah. All right. So you run into Bob Buford. Yeah. How do you run into him? What's the situation? Are you facilitating something for them? No, you know, it's, it, I did, but it was really a God okay. thing. So I had, I, when I started my company and I'm doing this kind of work, I said I wanted to do it for churches and ministries. And a guy goes, well, have you ever heard of this guy, Bob Buford? He's got a thing called Leadership Network right. with churches. And I said, no, I'd love to meet him. And we set up a meeting with some of his top guys. This is, again, the way God works. Yeah. We, with the top guys. They were going to come in and see what I was doing. And in retrospect, if they had, they never would have hired me. Right. They thought it, it just wouldn't. I just know it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It was the one day in Dallas that an ice storm shut down the city. <laughs> So then fast forward three, four months later, I'm having breakfast with a guy, and he goes, well, I'm actually going into Bob Buford's board meeting. Come in. I'll introduce you to him. I walk in. I meet Bob directly. Standing next to Bob is the guy who was my mentor at EDS. What? That used to be this on his board. Yeah. And my mentor says, Bob, you really need to know this guy. You had no idea that that was... No idea. Yeah. And so God opened a door that yeah. I, I I was trying really hard to open a few months earlier. Now in his timing, right. there was a door that was wide open to walk through. And how long ago was this? This was 2001. Okay. 2001. So so Bob Buford was a, a, owned a cable television company yeah. in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. Made a ton of money. Uh, said he spent the first half of his life being successful. He wanted to spend the second half being significant. That was kind of his His model. tagline. Yeah, yeah, his tagline. And so he started Leadership Network with the idea of Peter Drucker was his mentor. And Peter told Bob that his mission was to turn the latent energy in the American church into active energy. So that's what he was doing. And meanwhile, while he was doing it, he wrote this book, Halftime. 
that was just his story of how he went from trying to be super successful to trying to now do something significant with his life. And halftime, when, it, when the book launched, guys would just come, men and women who were running businesses would just come see him and say, what do I do? And that's grown into the halftime ministry over the last 25 years. I mean, I am a testimony for that. We were talking a little earlier before we started recording, and, and you know, I read that book about the time you were meeting him uh, 20 years ago, and it kind of helped me when I was at a point where I was like, I'm just trying to make money. What am I doing? Yeah. It, it, wasn't, it was just losing its flavor to me, and I didn't know what to do. And frankly, halftime reading that book going, wait a minute, I could actually have ministry in in business, you know, just someone else thinking that way. I thought I was the only crazy person who thought like that. Like, what is broken? I sort of had my ministry and work life separate. They were not integrated. Yes. And I felt like he was a good example of how he was trying to integrate it. And even though he sold the company, not everybody, you know, That's right. driving down the street listening to this, you know, I think one of the messages that I remember Bob saying is that he didn't want to necessarily prescribe that you needed yeah. to sell it. Yeah. Okay, to to have impact, you can do it along the way, and those sort of things. So anyway, that was a big help to me, and I know many others. Okay, so you meet him. There's some engagement here, but that was a long time ago, and so, you just joined this organization yeah. a year ago. So yeah. what happened in so between? Happened, yeah. So for a couple of things. So so I met him. I actually designed the first halftime program. Okay. Because we got to a point where he's, he's had a number of folks coming to see him. It's like let's put together a program that would would help these help yeah. these people go through that. So I designed, facilitated the first ones as it went, and kind of got that going as it was starting up its own self as a ministry. And I've always stayed in the orbit of halftime, stayed close to Bob. When I was running my company, even though I wasn't leading things at halftime, if if Bob had a client who mentioned the word strategy, I usually got a call like, "Hey, can you come up and talk to right. us?" Right? I was a tool he used a lot to have his tool back. So I'd always stayed close. And about two years ago, Dean Nawalny, who was the CEO, had been the CEO for about 12 years, said, we need a new global strategy. So halftime is primarily in the U.S. However, we have what we now call an expression of halftime. It's not a franchise, an office, but we have them in Sweden, the U.K., Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, South Africa. Most of them were guys, men and women, who read the book ah. and said, I need to bring this to my country. Right. Bob and went over, you know, Matilda in South Africa. She yes. went over and started it there. You know, David Wong was the COO of the Bank of Hong Kong, I think. Yeah. Started it over there. I mean, it, it's that movement kind of thing that, yeah. that really has, you know, been around the book. It's a universal Bob. problem, though, right? Yeah, it is. How do I find purpose? You get to a certain point. We always say, uh, you know, everybody knows money can't buy happiness. Yeah. But everybody wants to find out for themselves. <laughs> so there's a universal chasing. You could be the one. You <laughs> no, no. One I know it didn't work for any of them. But I think it'll work it for, me. for me. I really do. You know, and back then, if you think back nowadays, the, the idea of business is mission, the idea of yeah. uh, things like group, great groups like C12, that right. help you be a real Christian CEO. There are a lot of those things out there now. In in 2001, there weren't. There was Rick Warren talking about purpose. That's true. And Bob Buford talking about calling. That was about it. And that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was. It was a new new idea then that's just grown over the years. So where do you think? Okay. So you've made this change. You want to talk about that transition? How did that transition happen for you to go to be? I guess uh, co-executive director. That's or, correct. Yeah, uh, we can talk about that too. Okay, but yeah, maybe just yeah, talk a little yeah. about that transition. Then we'll get into some of these uh, tips and tricks maybe for right. some of the uh, right. folks listening in. 
Well, so so I'm helping them with their strategy. Yeah. And again, in God's timing, I'm running my own company, which is about getting people into a room together to really interact differently to come up with you know really different outcomes. Not a lot of people get into the room when COVID hit. That is that's right? true. A facilitator of the in-room experience was not the market. I'm thinking of the giant sheets of paper you put up with a sticky around the room and nobody's in the room. That doesn't really play in Zoom. No, it doesn't. (laughs) And I just could not make myself try to transfer all my skills, my methodology that I developed and everything online. I just just couldn't make myself do it. But fortunately, I had started this gig with halftime. Right. And I was working on that, and there was a, uh, a guy that was on the board of directors named Jim Stolberg. And Jim was on our strategy design team, and he and I started working closely together. And as we were developing vision and new strategy, about a year last November, Dean Nawalny, the CEO, came to us and said, I think you two should take over the ministry. Yeah. And we prayed about it, we talked about it, and we went for the board of directors just about a year ago this month, a year ago in April, and Jim and I became co-executive directors of Aptop. Okay, so now some people, I'm sure... Uh, are familiar with halftime, but probably not everybody. And you gave a little background yeah. of Bob Buford, and I know there's some coaching that goes on, and, and we certainly, I've been a beneficiary of, of coaching from halftime and mm-hmm. coming up with a personal mission statement probably 14 years ago that I used, I told you uh, earlier, I use the exact one today to make yeah. decisions based on those things. But maybe you can kind of get into, I'm just trying to think of somebody driving down the road who's thinking about I mean, I think of Bob Buford as the classic example with somebody selling their company. Right. And now what am I going right. to do? Right. I mean, your identity is kind of tied up in this thing, even if you don't want it to be. And you're like, uh, what now? Is it mostly for those people? Is it mostly for people that are selling a company or career changing or whatever? Or is it also, do you have some people coming in that are just trying to figure out maybe a pivot? Yeah. In in the existing company. I mean, who, who's the customer? Yeah, no, maybe? So, so. Primarily what we've done in the past, and I talk about the future vision, but what what we still do today is we offer a number of programs, nine-month, year-long program to really help you. We would say our client is somebody who has what we would call smoldering discontent. They feel like there's there's more than just what they're doing. And now that more may be, sell the company and go do it, that more may be, I need to carve out some of my time so I can do this too. About 65 to 70% of those that go through our program stay in their business. If you're thinking about what mm. am I called to do, then the next question when you figure that out is what's your platform to do that? Well, if you've established a platform in the business world for what you've done over 10 or 20 years, why would you necessarily walk away from that? Right. Right? God may call you away from it, but then again, he may have been building that platform the whole time to allow you to realize, I can use this for your glory, not just my wealth. I remember Lloyd Reeve telling a story. I'll tell it just quickly because I want you to do more talking. But he told a story about a a guy that owned a, a, a tea company, if you remember this story. And the guy was thinking about selling this tea company. Oh, yeah. And he, he really loved helping orphans in China, I think it was. And, and so he went to his halftime group and he said, yeah, should I sell the company? I could just use the proceeds to fund more orphan stuff. And he was a great photographer. And so with the group together, I love the power of the group, yeah. you know, a like-minded group. And he ended up taking pictures and putting it on the back of the tea boxes, mm. kept the company. And, and he, 
he did way more good yeah. keeping the company yeah. Yeah. than he did selling it. So we're not trying to dissuade people from selling. Yeah, if God exactly tells you to right. sell it, exactly sell right. it. Whatever the platform yeah. Yeah. you should have is, you should do that. But do you have other? Uh, is there a story or two that popped to mind? You know, about there are a couple. Um, yeah. Michael Locker is a guy who's on yeah. the board. He's a real estate developer in Nashville. Yeah. And continues to be a real estate developer. Yeah. He, he's he's in his forties, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forties, yeah. young guy, young family, yeah. not ready to like leave and go do anything. He's in the middle of it. Yeah. But but he wants to do more than just run his yeah. company. So like one of the things he's done is he's taken some hotel, some churches in Nashville that were going to be torn down. He's turned them into these boutique hotels. Oh my gosh! And every night you stay in the hotel pays for a homeless person to have a night in a shelter. Wow! Simple, simple. His real estate platform allows him to do that. He leverages what he's done and has done well for kingdom purposes. That's very different than somebody who did cash out or sold or is now doing something you know completely different. I love that story. These are really creative stories. You donated your time when you were running that business mm-hmm. and expertise. You know, you weren't trimming hedges, nothing wrong yeah. with that, but yep. you were using your God-given talent that you were using in business to give away. Now you're referencing, you know, this is generosity. Okay, he is funding yeah. that, but it also yeah. is unique. And uh, and I just think when, uh, you know, you, you guys are putting together a God-honoring process that teases out super custom That's exactly outcomes. Right. And, and it sounds like you're a coach, so maybe you could talk a little more about maybe what those, you know, outcomes that you're looking for, or, you know, you know, we yeah, talked about three right. words or three expressions. So, so, so kind of thing. two things on that. Yeah. One, you know, we, we talked often about your time, your talent, your treasure, right. right? You can be generous with all three. A lot of times when you hear the word generosity, you think about your treasure. Correct. But, but you could be generous with your time or with your talent. Again, God used, can use all of those things where you are. And then, the, one of the, the brand promise we kind of talk about nowadays with halftime is this idea of get clear, get free, and get going. Yeah. And, and the order is important, right? If, if you're making a whole lot of money or you sell your company and you get free, but you don't know who you are or the purpose you're made for, you may be setting yourself up for real problems. Bob Buford said one time that if a man sold his company for $5 million or more, there was an 85% divorce rate. Wow. I mean, think about it. To your point, you've lost your identity. Yeah. You're probably estranged from your wife because you've been working on this deal for at least a year, and you're flush with cash. Right. You're sitting target. Exactly. Right? So if you're not way like, too much time on your hands. So if your thing is, I, if I can just get free, I can go do this. If I right. Get free, I can go do this. It's not gonna. It's not the right idea. I can remember when I was running my company, a consulting company I built, so I could design it any way I wanted. I remember coming into my office one morning, sitting down at the chair and just staring at the wall and thinking, I don't want to be here. I'm like, how did I let that happen? I, I built the thing. Right. I, I can't create a company that I want to be in. I mean, what am I doing? But it was that discontent in me that was building up that there's got to be more, there's got to be something else. And so the first step in handling that is not to get free, but it's to get clear. Yes. And and this is what you were talking about with like your mission. Statement, yes. Right. The The... Fundamental tool in all the halftime programs that you go through is a thing we call the roadmap. And the roadmap is sort of an annual plan of what are you going to do to live your life. And it's based on some boxes you fill in at the top that are very kind of overarching. So one of them, as you mentioned, is your mission statement. What's your personal mission statement? And the great thing about having a mission statement is it can tell you what to say no to. Exactly. Right? 
I, I mean, to, to the point, if I'm giving my time to go work with a church and it's taking all the expertise I have, that's a much better use of me than going to help paint an orphanage. I, I had a... Uh, it's good, I, but I, it's not 100% of me. I'm not... Right? Exactly. I was sitting at this little ministry fundraiser breakfast, you know, pre-COVID, and I was sitting there with another guy that was invited to this deal. Our friend had, you know, bought this little table. We're sitting there, and we're just chatting, and I go, he did just just got the CEO job of a big uh, energy services company. And uh, I said, oh, well, what kind of nonprofit stuff, you know, chit-chat, what, what kind of nonprofit stuff are you involved in? He literally li- listed off nine things that with energy in the name. Yes. Yeah. And I go, yeah. I started laughing. I go, I mean, really, man? Like, all energy? He goes, I know. He starts kind of chuckling. He goes, I didn't know how to say no. That's right. That's exactly so he didn't, right. he didn't have a lens through which to look yes. to say, oh, okay, well, maybe I can be on three things. And one's, you know, industry-related, maybe one faith role, whatever yeah, your yeah. mission statement is or exactly your skill right. sets are. That's exactly right. I, my, my mission statement is to equip and encourage people to have the best conversations they can to do what God's calling them to do so they may live an abundant life. Mm. Okay, so I'm on two boards. One is a church planning group in Europe that is that uses my process to break conversations between church planners to grow and, and build things. And, and the other one is a sort of a, an online evangelism mission. So if you if you text them and say, I'm struggling with this, they'll have a conversation with you about it. Right. So they fit me because right. I'm about having conversations with things, right? Versus versus a lot of other great ministries out there that I just don't feel necessarily called to. So so callings first, right? You right. figure out who you are is part of this. Getting sport. clear. Getting clear. That's the first right? yeah. step. Getting clear. So you know who you're calling and you know what your strengths are. You know what your gifts are and your passions are. You know, passions are like what what makes you excited or makes you angry, exactly, or makes you happy. I mean, you think about you think that. about it a lot. It creates mind share. Yeah, it takes I, mind we share. We get to work. We get the privilege of working with uh, some senior military officers. Yeah, like retired, right? And and it's almost if if, if the business guy is sort of success to significance, or Bob's was uh, the military general or or high high ranking officer is really almost significance to success. Yeah. Most of them think, I've done all this, now I can get out and go to work. I've already served the world. Now I'm going to do something for me. (laughs) And and nobody, they've never stopped often to say, well, how do you think you have been uniquely created and wired and gifted? And and, and who are you that God may have something for you to discover perfectly aligned with? You just don't think that way. You you think they you just got orders to go here go make it happen you say yes sir and you off you go right it's so so it's a it's a mind shift so that core of who you are what you're passionate about then you can get free from stuff that blocks that from fully blossoming yeah and then you get going in that direction okay so the freedom comes from the clarity mm-hmm. okay that clarity gives you the freedom and then and then the get going you want to unpack that a little bit more sure so. What, the other thing on the freedom part, you, you need to know what to get free of. For example, we mm. talked about the company, right? If yeah. you're thinking, I've got to sell this so I can get free, yeah, you might realize that your core says, I need to stay right where I am. Yeah. I need to get free of some other stuff. Right. Right. So Eliminate whatever is the stuff that's you in your way. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you know what that is because you've gotten clear on who you are. You know, one of my favorite lines is, there is freedom in surrender. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the the surrendering to God's calling in your yeah. life. So yeah. it, it sounds crazy. Surrender. But that's not freedom. If you're in a war, you don't surrender. That doesn't lead to freedom. No, surrendering to whom or to what? Yeah. To your calling. 
it does create that freedom. It, it, it does in a way that, that is, in my life, has proven out to be always better than I could have done for myself. Exactly. I thought I was building this, that, or the other thing, right? Exactly. I always tell everybody, my plans are absolute trash, and all of God's plans are amazing. <laughs> Actually, literally the ones he just puts in my path that I trip over. And, and one of the things I love about working with these leaders at halftime that have gone through things is, is there's a real, we're doing this in and through the business world. It's not like just a theological view of what this might be. You know, you talk about the return on investment of your own life. You know, you talk about, particularly your PL, what's priceless and what's valuable and how do you know the difference? I mean, there's some great ways to think and I think about it, I'm really in business terms. I mean, who better to help somebody than, a, than somebody who can come alongside that says, I know what it's like to run this company and feel that burden or the, the name of yeah. uh, the family name on the business or the I, you know, big cog in the corporate wheel or, or, or whatever it happens to be. But that, that, the get going, you get clear on who you are, you get free stuff holds you yeah. back, and, and then get going. We, we talk a lot about doing a low-cost probe. Yeah. Right? Go try something. Don't, don't jump in. Bob Buford used to say that uh, Tarzan's law of the jungle, right? Don't let go of one vine until you got the next yeah. one. Yeah. And you need to try some vines sometimes to see if they're going to work. So can you, you know, maybe you're on a board for a while. Maybe you're serving it or maybe you're taking some of your time and carving out a day of the week or half a day a week to go work in this and see what that's like. And most people who find their calling, as it were, really feel like they're now doing what God has really got for them to do in this, this season of life. They went through several steps to get there, and they were not a direct path. Yeah. I think giving, you know, I, I can only imagine the type A people who are driving, building this company, sell it, or they're in a pivot or whatever, a piece of it, recap, whatever this change moment is where they're looking to get some coaching around, how do I inject more purpose into my life? or and then, but don't we always want to just go take the old playbook and let's go? Yep, that's right. And I think having a little bit of allowing some of that downtime, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a dirty word for some people who just are. It is. It is. You yeah. know, you always want to be achieving yeah. something. I'm yeah. guilty. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. to take that time and, and, you know, maybe not commit to the executive board of six things or just be it a volunteer to see if you like doing it that's it's the right. food right. fa- whatever it is well you know it, 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 if you, if somebody's listening who started their business yes. i can remember when i was at ernst and young and i was going to go start my own business right yeah. i did my business plan right and i did all the stuff you need to do for right. business plan, right and what happened the first day after i asked blew it up <laughs> exactly but 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 it was it was a useful exercise yes. to get me going yes. so it's the same thing if you're thinking about stepping into something different you need to try some things, and they may not be right, but but it's a useful exercise. As you, well, I checked that one off the list, and here's one that maybe fits me more. You know? And you said something about having a picture of where you're going. Can yeah. you unpack that just for a minute? So this this roadmap at the top of the roadmap, we we ask you a number of things you fill in. One of them is what's your personal mission statement, right? Yeah. But then next to that is is what is your being statement? Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to do. Who do you want to become? Yeah. If, if you don't think about who you want to become, trying to be significant can look a lot like trying to be successful. Yep. You just change the treadmill. And right. you're still running. You're trying to do it all yourself. You're in your own head. All that stuff. So if you think about what you want to do, you think about who you're going to be. And then we ask, so what are your perfect life metrics? And, and perfect, it, just like... 
no one would start a company in, in, or, or runs a big part of a company that doesn't have some kind of metric of success. Yeah. They don't know where they're, they want to know where they're going at what level. Well, why don't we have those for our lives? Right. And, and if you really get clear about those three things, if this is what I want, is this is how I define living uh, in the Bible, though, there'll be some guy that, you know, dies at old age and says he lived, a, you know, like a full right. life, right? A, you know, and, and, and just a life full to the end. And it's like, if that's what you want. What does that look like for you? Yeah. Who do you need to be to achieve that life? And what are you going to do to live that out? Those three things, if there's congruency between those three things, you're on a pretty good track. One of the things we talk about a lot is, is you know, it's real simple. You you got to have clarity about where you are, clarity about where you want to go, and then a clear path to get there. And those metrics are those things you get. What, what's an example of a life metric that just pops to mind that you've seen? So, so one of mine is yep. an example is to have both impact and contentment. Mm. Right. I, I don't want to just quit and play golf and, and I'm done. I want to have impact all my life, but I don't. I want to be content enough. That if the impact is is doing something less than I'm doing now, I'm content with that. I'm, I don't want to be driven for impact. Yeah. So I want to have that balance. That's one of my metrics. That is, a, at the end, am I still having impact? And am I very content with the impact I'm having? All right. Well, listen, this is just a fabulous conversation. It's just been a joy to get to know you and your story. And I'm just so excited that, I mean, you're really a living example of, of really the reason we're trying to start this movement with generous business owners is just to give them a place to hear some stories yeah. of other people. We, we feel like we're like one, one beggar showing another beggar where they got a piece of bread. We don't have all the answers, but I think God works through these stories and encouraging uh, folks to kind of seek him and, and find that unique thing. But but halftime, I I'd encourage everybody, I've probably given them more halftime books away than any other book over the last 20 years because it helped me so much. So uh, we'll put some stuff in the show notes uh, about halftime and how to find you and, yep. and, and, and hear more. But let me just leave you just, we always try to kind of leave with one very just practical question of, you know, and you, maybe it's just summarizing some of what you talked about before, but, you know, again, this is sort of business owners talking to business owners, uh, what is kind of one thing that folks could take away and, and maybe do tomorrow morning or, or this evening if they just want to kind of take one step toward yeah. being more of a generous business owner? I, I, I think the biggest step they could take would be to put down some words that they think could be a mission statement. Yeah. And, and don't get wrapped up on how many words it is, yeah. what it is. You know, we use strength finders to help. If, 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 if God has created you to do something. Ephesians 2.10 so, tells us that he's, he's created good works beforehand for you to walk into them. Yeah. But we used to say, if, if he's created them beforehand, your life should be more like archaeology than architecture. Mm. You don't need to go out and build a plan. You need to discover what God's already got mm. for you. The, the mental exercise of trying to draw up a mission statement that says, if I was doing this, I'd feel fully alive. I'd feel like I was using all I am. I feel like I'm having an impact. I feel like this is what God, it's something I can't not do. Yeah. You wake up with that thing. You may not know what that is, but but if you start to craft a bit of a mission statement, and it, it, it's a real iterative kind of yeah. thing, but literally putting some words down on a piece of paper, whether they're a sentence or some words, will make you revisit it, think about it, tweak it, refine it, and in, in the refining of the words, it'll help you refine who do you think you really are and what God's calling you to do? 
I, I'm telling you, I'm a living proof that that is an amazing filter that's helped me a ton. And I would just add to that, because I know this is the halftime model, maybe get a couple of trusted friends yeah, who share absolutely. your worldview, understand yeah. you have your yeah. back, yeah. and have them kind of help maybe wordsmith it a little bit yes. once you have something down and offer to do it for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we do that a lot when we... All of our programs are cohort-based. Exactly. You know, we do some one-on-one coaching, yeah. but it's like we need to get you with some others just for that iron sharpens iron kind of idea. Well, listen, Tom, thanks again for being a part of this. Uh, it's been a joy, and uh, tune in next time for the next episode of the uh, Generous Business Owner Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.